but we don't think she killed the prince, said Glimfeather, because no bones. We know she didn't, said Scrub. Aslan told Pole he was still alive somewhere. That almost makes it worse, said the oldest owl. It means she has some use for him and some deep scheme against Narnia. Long, long ago, at the very beginning, a white witch came out of the north and bound our land in snow and ice for a hundred years. And we think this may be one of the same crew. Welcome to the Chronicles of Podcast, where we're doing a chapter-by-chapter deep dive into the Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis. I'm Chase. And I'm Kel. Thank you for joining us. Just a reminder that today we are talking about the sixth book in the series, The Silver Chair, but general spoiler warning for the whole Narnia series, as well as a heads up that we do go on tangents into other stories that we enjoy. We'll do our best to give spoiler warnings along the way if there's anything that's too far out there. But today we are discussing The Silver Chair, Chapter 4, A Parliament of Owls. Man. Chase, do you ever just like come upon a piece of knowledge and you're like, man, that feels really smart. I should let other people know about this. They think I'm smart. Hey, Kel, did you know that a collection of owls is called a parliament? I do now. (laughs) Man, thanks, C.S. Lewis. Do you think C.S. Lewis knows that a collection of owls is called a parliament? C.S. Lewis would be the guy that's like, did you know that a collection of crows is called a murder? It's a murder. He's, he's the guy making the, like, you know, sounds about right that a collection of baboons is called a parliament. Am I right, English government? But, you know, with that, I'd like to give you a summary of my knowledge on this chapter. And by my knowledge, I mean yours, probably. Uh, but I mean, at least what, what I noticed as I was reading through it this morning. That, that's, that's how it goes. But... Jill was very tired and preparing for bed when she heard a loud tap, tap, tap at her window. And it was the owl there to ask if they had figured out what they were going to do about the lost prince. At that moment, Jill remembered the lion's face and commands that she had pretty, that she had pretty much forgotten all day and all dinner because, you know, feast, the best meal that she'd ever had. Uh, the owl tells her to change out of her court clothes into something she can travel in and then goes to wake up Eustace. She changed back into a sweater and shorts and grabbed a rain cloak with a hood because, you know, rain and Britain. Uh, and a few things that would be helpful on the road. When the owl returned, she said it should lead them the way that, uh, or it should lead the way since she doesn't know the passageways very well. But the owl said they weren't going through the castle, but it said they were going to fly. Jill put out the light in her room and climbed onto its back and they went into the night and then they went and flew over Mount Doom. Wait, hold on. That's a different story with flying birds carrying uh, little people. Um, but they flew around the castle and across the river until they reached a party, uh, a partly ruinous tower. They entered the archway and the voices within saying, toohoo, toohoo, told her it was crowded with owls inside. But then she was relieved to also hear Eustace's voice. Then Glimfeather, the owl that brought them, suggested they hold a parliament of owls because, as we mentioned, C.S. Lewis wants you to know that uh, a group of owls is called a parliament. And that's also a funny way of saying a you know governmental collection. Uh, so, you know, it is what it is. Uh, Scrub insisted on saying something first. He said he supposed they all know that in his youth, Caspian the X sailed to the eastern end of the world and told them that he was on that journey. Uh, along with Ribachi, Lord Jinnian and the rest. Uh, and it may be hard to believe, but people don't age in the same way. Oh, wait. No, he told them on the journey uh, then that he had not aged the same way because people don't age the same way in uh, in their world. His point was that he's the king's man. He told them that they brought them there to plot against the king. In any way, he would have no part in it. Glimfeather says that they are king's owls too, 
And that, uh, the one that they were avoiding was Trumpkin, the Lord Regent, who said they would not let them go if he learned they were searching for the Lost Prince. In the past, more than 30 champions had at one time or another set out to find the Lost Prince, and none had returned. The king said that he wasn't going to lose all the bravest Narnians to search, and now no one is allowed to go. Eustace pointed out that Aslan had sent them, and they'd surely listen, but Gloomfeather said Trumpkin was a stickler for the rules, and he was also old and pretty deaf, so, you know, he sucks. Uh, and even if he saw it, there would be no way uh, that he wouldn't let the king go. Uh, he wasn't going to accept the wisdom of the owls, and only saying things like how young they are, and how he remembered when he was, like, they were just an egg, and so who, who are they to teach him? The kids asked when the king would be back, but Glimfeather said there was no way to know. He was sailing in an attempt to find Aslan in the islands to seek counsel from him face to face one last time about who should be king after him. But if he didn't find him, there was a chance he would sail on to the world's end again and never return. If old, they, uh, if they had uh, spoken to him immediately, uh, they had arrived. Um, he probably would have given an army and helped them however he could. Joe kept quiet at the suggestion and used his butter that wasn't his fault under his breath. Uh, they concluded they'll, they'll have to go on without him. Uh, and then Eustace asked if the Owls Parliament really is uh, above board, uh, then why did they meet at night? Uh, the Owls explained that it is the only time they meet. The rest of Narnians do weird things like acting in the middle of the day. And then we realized, hey, Owls are nocturnal. It makes sense that they meet at night. Then Eustace asked them to tell what happened to the lost prince. And about 10 years ago, Prince Brilliant rode with his queen mother to the north parts of Narnia with a large party to enjoy the spring. And the queen went to take a nap on a grassy bank and the rest of the party went a little way so that they didn't disturb her. Then a great serpent came out of the woods and stung her hand. Brilliant was the first to her side and tried to catch the snake with his sword, but it got away into the brush. The queen was gone within 10 minutes. And after they carried the queen's body back to Care Paravel and mourned her, Prince Brilliant would often ride in the northern marches uh, searching for the green serpent that killed his mother. Over time, people could see a change in him. And finally, Lord Drinian told him that there was no use in seeking the snake since there's no real vengeance in a witless beast the way that there would be with a man. But Rillian said he had forgotten about the snake. Rather, he continued to ride in those woods because he had seen the most beautiful thing that was ever made there. Drinian asked if he could go to see it too. And the next day, he and Rillian rode to the place. The queen had died, ironic. Uh, and uh, while they rested there, a beautiful woman wrapped in a green cloak, the same color as that snake, appeared who beckoned to the prince as if she wanted to go him to go with him. They returned to the castle, and Drinian held his tongue about what he had seen for the time. But he soon wished he had spoken to the king, because the next day the prince had gone out, back out alone and was never seen again. Drinian gave himself to be killed by the king, but as he held the axe, Caspian uh, said he had already lost a son and a wife, and he didn't want to lose his friend also. After the story, Jill said she thinks the woman and the ser serpent are the same person. Good work, detective. And the owls agreed. They feared that the woman had some plan to use the prince and find Narnia like the white witch in the old days. Scrub and Pole were now more determined than ever to find the prince and begin following the tasks. The owl said they couldn't help because they didn't, uh, they, you know, don't, you know, they'd want to go at night and not during the day. And that's not how, you know, normal people operate. So whatevs. So they would take them as far as the marsh wiggles who might be able to help. Glimfeather asked if they were ready to go now. And Yusuf said Jill fell asleep. And the chapter ends. Yep. Don't even know if Jill woke up. Just ends. I hope, I hope so. You know, there's still like 12 chapters in this book, but you know, whatevs. But Jake, Joe, Joe just takes a nap for the rest of the book while Eustace does this by himself. Honestly, I wouldn't hate it. I mean, it'd be fine. I mean, it's it's say, the same things would happen. Yeah. But Chase, you know, it's that funny thing that the sleepier you get, the harder it is to get yourself into bed, especially when there's a fire going. Do you, do you know that feeling? I mean, not fire specific, usually Netflix, but yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah, totally. Uh, it's a, 
G.S. Lewis just like he throws in weird things like this every now and then, which is just like what does it what does it have to do with anything? But whatever, you know. C.S. Lewis would much rather describe the ordinary things that happen in your day than tell a story. You know, plot development and things like that. Yeah, he's just working out his stand-up comedy routine. What about owls? Am I right? Hey, do you ever try to go to bed at night, but then realize that it's harder to go to bed when you're tired? Am I right? But so Jill, as she's you know trying to prepare herself for for sleep and everything, she hears a tap on her window, and it's uh, look look what do you know? It's the owl. It's Glimfeather. To who? To who? To who? Chase? No. To who is the owl? That's that's what he says. You know. So who's on first? This joke ah, is never. Ah, this joke yes. is never told. Uh, but he says, uh, "Hey, are you? Were you for real when you were talking about saving the prince?" And she was like, "Well, yeah, Aslan said so." She's like, "He's like, well, great. Then we have to get you out of here at once. I'm gonna go get the other guy and uh, you know be back for you in a second. Now, and then, do you think that he's intentionally trying to like make?" J.R. Tolkien references with these owls. Like these. Literally, it taps on his window, and Jill's like, could that be an eagle? I don't even know why an eagle would be visiting me, but what what else would be tapping on my window? I mean, she sees a giant bird, and I guess your first assumption with a giant bird would be like an eagle or a hawk, unless you had just seen a giant owl. Yeah, unless a giant owl had literally been helping you out yesterday, like you've already met this named character in this book. Yeah, you'd think. But it feels like a very like, how do we both acknowledge that my friend also did this bit in his books and also get rid of the complaint of why wouldn't they just carry them to their destination immediately instead of taking their time? And that's why he used an owl as opposed to eagles, because eagles can fly during the day, Chase. Yeah, and everyone knows owls' wings break during the day. They shatter. Facts. There's no way they can do anything. They're like orcs or, uh, you know, vampires. They, yeah. they just can't deal with the sunlight. That's why Caspian left in the middle of the night on his boat trip yesterday morning. Yes. That's why they didn't meet this owl during the day. Even though they did. But alas, don't worry about logic. Uh, the the weird thing here is C.S. Lewis, like, it's he he sets this thing up and then resolves it in the same chapter of the like red herring sketchy owl figure. Yeah, it's I don't know. I don't think you need to question whether the owls have good or bad intentions. Like they're not acting shady in any light. It's not like they're like hinting towards like being against this person or that person. Like, yeah, it's just like like nighttime escape. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like, Oh, well you would go out at night. Wow. You must be a a rough character. I myself am afraid of the dark. Yeah, it's, I just, for me, I'm, I, I like the trope of the, like, person who seems sketchy, but is actually just misunderstood. Like, I think that's fine. 
But one, you can't just spell it out because he basically just goes, well, if Jill had been more used to adventure, she would have questioned what the owl was saying. But she was, you know, just going with it. And it's like, okay, so you want us to think this owl is sketchy. And then... It doesn't work as well when it doesn't actually... When, like, it's not from actual things they're doing, telling us that we should think he's sketchy and then telling us in the next sentence, but he's actually not. Right, because it's, it's, you know, like less than uh, like a page later, like Scrub is going to go, hey, just so you know, I'm a king's man. And so if y'all are plotting something against you, which we'll get to that in a second, uh, but it's like, I'm going to stand with the king. And they're like, yeah, we are too. <laughs> like, yeah. duh. Um, Why would you think otherwise in our midnight meeting in this crumbling tower away from the castle that we right. go through? And so it's like, it's for me, I wish he had given this a little bit more time to breathe and be like, hey, we need to steal you away right now. And like, there's like Jill and Eustace are questioning it. They're like, should we do this? Well, you know, he's been the only one that helps us so far. Maybe this is the help that Aslan was talking about. Like, you know, what like what what could this mean? And they're questioning and questioning it. And then they like finally realize, oh, he's actually on our on our side, not just ask the question, make people think he's sketchy, and then resolve it immediately. Yeah. But when you have a chapter that doesn't have any actual conflict in it, you gotta do something. You got to do something. And what are they going to do? They're going to have a parliament chase because, yes. gosh darn it, we need to have a reference to the British governmental system. We need to make sure that we are uh, honoring uh, the, the fair country and, and all that is in it. Honestly, this chapter is very relevant for our current times. Yeah. I got Or I guess. That passes away. A son that goes crazy about pen-shaped things. <laughs> yes. Did you see the video of Prince Charles getting angry at a pen? I did not, but I really want to get it now. He threw a little, a little hissy fit about a pen not working. I was watching a... Uh, I've a, had to step in like three times to fix it for him. There was a stand-up comic who was like, the day that the, the queen died, was doing a, a sketch and he goes, uh, you know, it's weird that, you know, as a, like you're, you first become a king at 73 years old, but I think what's weirder is yesterday he was a 73 year old prince. <laughs> like, he's like, I don't think any sure girl does act like a 73 year old prince. He was like, I don't think any girl was growing up being like, one day I hope my prince will come and picturing a guy on a walker, like walking at uh, you. Man. I was like, live the king. Uh, well, I'm, Eh, well, maybe not. I'm I'm all for abdicating for uh, William to step in, but I I doubt he will. But you know, you can hope. You know, seventy three years old and he got his first job. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> hey, loved his mom. His mom was great. She's yeah, she's fine. Yeah. I mean, she was long ruler. The the crown really really made me a uh, a queen supporter. Sure, I just I at least enjoy her. But that's not to say that the crowd is without its faults. Oh, and well. The crowd, I mean, the actual crowd, not the Netflix series. What head, head of state and government is? Uh, Narnia, of course. America. <laughs> America. 
We're, I, I know nothing wrong with our with our country. Just don't talk about slavery or racism or politics or um, you know anything like that. And then or or gun controller, um, you know anything like that. And we're fine. Oh no, because we've got all that figured out, Cal. Correct. Uh, but before we uh, stray into territories that are going to lose us even more followers, uh, <laughs> we are. Uh, so we joined the Parliament of Owls. And uh, they are, you know, wondering what's going on. Jill hears that Eustace is there, which is great. Uh, and she's, you know, relieved. And Eustace decides this is the time in a potentially hostile environment of filled with crowded predators. Like owls are literal predators. They will kill. Yeah. You know. He ate an owl. I mean, he ate a bat while they were flying. While they were flying. Just scooped one out of the air. And Eustace decides. Now is the time when I am vastly outnumbered by people or by like these creatures who could kill me to tell everyone that I'm a king's man and I will not support their revolution. <laughs> what if there is an actual revolution, Chase? What if Honestly, they would actually a revolution of owls sounds great? That sounds yeah. thoroughly entertaining. Wasn't that like that that movie, That's a movie that, right? That book series, what is it, Guardians of Gahul? I didn't read it, but I think that's kind of what that was, right? I, don't I remember something vaguely fantasy, but what if all the people were owls? That yeah. I think that existed. There was owls in a book or, in a movie. So that's were magic talking owls somewhere. Yeah, it's a thing. But Chase, again, what if this was actually like a we are going down with the king? Like we we have sought harm to the prince. Eustace and Jill are children yeah. surrounded by numerous giant owls. Yeah, owls that are larger than they are. They'll they carry they, them on their backs. They like, would lose this fight. Yeah, ten times out of ten, they're they're dead. Like I appreciate Eustace's boldness and his courage, but maybe use a little tact. Maybe find out what's happening before you make a sweeping declaration. And potentially out yourself to be killed. Yeah. Because his little speech is nice. Like, it's yeah. very it's very formal. It's very, yeah. like, state your intentions. Like, very politician-y. Maybe do it with but, a sword in your hand. Yeah. The place where that sort of thing makes sense and works within a story is whenever you've got a room full of, like, mixed parties. Where you've yeah. got, like... Some people who are for you, some people who are against you, and you're rallying the people who are for you to your and trying to persuade the people who are against you because you have other people with you. Yeah, you're trying to let them know, hey, if you were thinking about making a move here, just so you know, we're on to you. That doesn't work when you're in their house surrounded by them. Yeah, no, not not the most wise decision, but I appreciate the courageousness and like the the loyalty that he shows. It's like, right. good for you, Eustace, you know, but maybe, again. Definitely a completely different character than this time in the last book. Absolutely. He was, you know, for sure, uh, definitely not a king's man uh, by any point uh, in the last book. He, you know, if anything, he was much more of a parliament fan. Uh, yeah. But He loves you know, parliament. He's a, he's a big, uh, big progressive uh, British guy. Uh, but, alas, he does not get murdered because they are king's owls as well. Uh, and they are rallying to find the prince. And that's the reason why they stole them away at midnight. Because uh, Trumpkin... Parliament if he is a government formed in the king's name. 
Indeed. Here, here. Uh, but the reason is because if Trumpkin found out, then he would not allow them to go on their journey. Dun, dun, dun. Trumpkin the traitor? Well, not, not quite. Again, red herring, immediately resolved. Yeah, yeah, within the paragraph. This one was, I don't know if interesting is the right word, cathartic maybe. I I liked the, oh yeah, Trumpkin, he cares a lot. He is a good guy, yeah. but he has been in his position and is so old, like he's been there for so long that he's not willing to listen to any other people's wisdom because he just looks at them all as children who don't have anything to tell him. Right. And that like is very familiar to anyone who is younger and has ever tried to give advice to someone who's older or just like, I know the kind of coming out of that phase of life now, but like fresh out of college phase where you're, in any kind of environment where there's just mutual leadership going to people and being like, Hey, I have this idea. What do you think about it? Oh, I remember when you were just this, this year's old and it's uh, not helpful. Not helpful. I think that is one of the nice parts of the way C.S. Lewis writes children's books is he knows how to relate to the experiences of young people. Agreed. It's a very understanding sentiment and like you, it's very relatable to youth. Uh, and, and without fully disparaging Trumpkin, I mean, he's definitely a caricature of yeah, like a old, man, old but, dwarf. But he, uh, they, they're not saying he's a bad dude for being that way. He's they're just saying, super loyal and unchanging. Yeah. This is, this is a risk of old age is you, start to think that you are the you have a monopoly on wisdom because you're the oldest right and if he's been told by his you know buddy the king no one else is going to die for my son then he gosh darn it no one else is going to die for his son and there's no way that anything else will change and so it gives it gives trumpkin a little bit of a like slight redemption it was just like his fault is just extreme loyalty and stubbornness like which he is an old and he is a dwarf, which like both of those, you know, stereotypes are stubborn. Yeah. So, you know, you're like, you get it. It makes sense. Uh, but Break inside, all right. The rock. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and dwarves known for their hammers. So, uh, but the, they're, they're like, we have to like, you know, get this done before, you know, the, you know, Trumpkin finds out. And if y'all had been here, you know, with the king, because the, the king has gone away, uh, you know, th- this would have been way easier to do. He would have understood, uh, you know, if only you would have shown up. And then uh, Eustace is like, Ahem. and he gives a nice little glare to, to Jill. Yeah, like, it wasn't my fault. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they're like, fine, we'll just have to go without uh, what happened to the prince. And uh, they just, they they decide this is the part of the story well, we're not going to have a conversation anymore. We're just going to tell you what the story is. Yeah. Uh, Which I'm glad we get told what the story is. I we wanted get told. to know. And I'll talk about this a little bit more in the further up and further in. There are several ways to do exposition. This is one of them where you just straight up say it. 
I wish it was a little bit more organic, but you know, say la vie. Yeah. I liked it. I think it was in uh, the Prince Caspian book when the way they did exposition is they start to tell a story and then the next chapter is the entire story being told as a flashback back to the actual, like you, you can do an organic flashback without having to just do like a full cut. Yeah. Yep. Agreed. But that story is quite a tale. 10 years ago, Chase, the queen mother still lived. And I'm not talking about Elizabeth. Talking about that star lady. <laughs> that star lady. Ten That's years star. ago. Is there a star lady in Mario? There's a star lady in Mario, right? Uh, Rosalina? Yeah. From I that I know I don't know what she does in the games, but I know she's in Super Smash Bros. I mean, I think that was one of the uh Mario games was like, what if you get shot between planets by giant star guns? Huh. Who knew? That's fun. They were figuring out 3D rendering on uh on video games. I like Mario. Mario's great. Good dude. Good yeah. brother. You know? Ro- Rosalina was out with her son. So Rosalina, the star lady, the queen, uh, she decides, uh, hey, uh, I'm gonna go out riding with uh, my son Rinian and uh or you know, Rillian or you know, whatever his name is. I think it's Rillian. Uh yeah. but a lot of a lot of weird but with an L in the middle. Yeah. Uh, and so they're going out riding and the queen's like, hey, I want to take a nap. And everyone's like, sounds good. Oh, we can do we can make that happen. Cool. We'll move our party over a few feet so that you can nap where we were. And wouldn't you know it, Chase, in that time frame, boom. Bit by a snake. <laughs> Why's it always gotta be snakes, go? It's either I mean something, something Satan. I don't know. Yeah. But. Something like that. Something like that. But they uh, decide, hey, we're you know we need to save the queen. But really, in you know once he's uh, once he's getting real uh, real feisty with you know once the queen is you know more or less dead, uh, he's like, hey, I'm gonna go hunt this snake down. Which like it gives the impression it bit her hand. Like it's not that big of a snake, right? Uh, it sounded like a big snake, but also it says, like it says a great snake, the less poison, and also getting bit on the hand feels like at a minimum chop off the hand. Um, yeah, but also like I mean, a great serpent who bites you on the hand, like at most, your hand is or your the snake is like the size of your hand, ear to the head, you know. Yeah, not that great of a snake. Like that's like a rattlesnake, maybe you know. Which is a you know, granted, a big snake, but I wouldn't call that a great snake. I w- I was picturing more like python sized. Yeah. Like, uh, like I, I was picturing like a great snake, like a big old snake. Yeah. I guess that's fine. If he's gonna hunt this snake, it's gotta be sized. It's gotta be huntable. If this snake is going to transform into a woman and essentially just be Nagini, it this is it's gotta be a good sized snake. This snake has to fit in a giant floating monkey ball if they're trying to protect it from Harry Potter. Could it fit in a standard rowboat? I I think it's got to, at a minimum, fit into the dead body of an old woman. That's fair. Okay, I think we can agree on that. That's fine. So this great serpent is being hunted uh, by Rillian, 
and uh, he he's making his way through, and uh, you know he goes out every day trying to hunt this snake. And Drinian, the you know the captain from uh, from the Voyage of the Dawn Treader, if you remember him, uh, he is now you know real good friends with Rillian. Weird names that sound almost close together. It's tough. Yeah, uh, they're they all uh, easy names to trip over. Yeah, and he he gets to the point where he's a little concerned about his buddy Rillian, and he says. Hey, vengeance really only makes sense if you wanted to kill a man because, you know, men are thoughtful beings and not a, you know, not a, like a beast. Uh, So, you know, it just, it doesn't make sense. Like getting, getting mad at a bee for stinging you doesn't make sense because the bee doesn't think in the same way that a man thinks like that. His logic tracks. It's actually good, wise advice. The 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 you know the don't be mad at animals thing. Sure, but yeah. the the part where he's like, now granted, if this was a man, you know, exercise revenge all you want. That part, you're like, of course, not the best advice. But it he's is. He's a prince. You can't be a prince unless you challenge at least one person to a duel per <laughs> year, <laughs> decade at most. Sorry for that Yu-Gi-Oh interlude. Um, but Drinian or uh, Rillian is like, yo, honestly, totally even forgot about my mom. Haven't even been paying attention because uh, I saw the most beautiful thing in the world. Don't even care that she's dead. I'm Don't actually, I'm actually dating her uh, her killer now. Didn't even remember that she was dead until you just brought that up. So thanks, Drinian. Uh, <laughs> and Drinian's like, kill my mom all over again. Come on, dude. Don't she, talk about it. So Drinian's like, well, can I go see this beautiful thing? And he's like, yeah, come on, buddy. Which is surprising that he's like willing to let him come and and see. Yeah, that's the one thing that doesn't add up in his whole like obsessive wandering in the woods. Yeah. The, uh, you, you would expect him to be protective of it. Yeah. Where it's like, no, this is this is my my thing that I get to see, you know. But alas, so Drinian and Rillian go out riding. And they see the most beautiful woman that he had ever seen. Now, Chase, here's where it gets a little like, man, you don't have to spell things out this hard, right? Where they go, a deep green serpent, very green, super green, Chase. Yeah, green is poison. Green is poison. This lady is not only the most beautiful woman she's ever seen, but she's wrapped in a garment. What? Green is super poison. green, super green shirt. Her her cloak is the greenest cloak you've ever seen. It is green as poison, which is the same exact phrase used with the serpent. Green as poison. I mean, I wish it had been green and scaly. Like I wish it had been like a textured cloak. Like you, you just you don't need to spell it out this hard. And then he's like, wait, don't worry. I'm going to spell it out even more in just a second. Because what happens? So they see this beautiful woman like dressed in a green cloak is green as poison. And they were, you know, stunned by her beauty. And they come back. uh, And Drinian was like, that woman is for sure evil. Why? Because intuition. Look, there. I feel like anyone who's ever like seen a model like on television and you're like, look, sure. Beautiful person. 
doesn't look like they'd be very nice. I can I can see that. I can see a, like, a vibe. Like evil? Evil? Yeah. Evil is a different thing. Drenian is a person who has experienced like actual evil in the world. Cal, are you telling me you've never met someone with an evil vibe? I mean, I've met people with bad vibes. And, like, the people with evil vibes are very distinct. Like, we're like, yeah, that, like, you, like, it's, that's a severe jump in judgment, you know? You've never met someone where you're like, man, that, uh, that dude's definitely killed someone. Or, uh, man, if this lady lived alone in the woods, I'd believe that she eats children. She definitely made a gingerbread house and lures children into it. Yeah. But... He's like, this girl for sure evil. Uh, and he's like, maybe I should tell the king. Nah, probably. I don't want to be a snitch. And then he should have been a snitch because uh, due to his lack of snitching, Prince Rillian is going to need stitching. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I was I was going to go with because of his lack of snitching, he might need stitching because he's going to get his head chopped off by an axe. He might. Uh, and so uh, he's like, uh, Rillian gets abducted, never seen again, and Drinian's like, yo, Caspian, I have bad news. You need to kill me because I should have told you that I met this random woman in the woods, and I didn't have a good vibe about her, and that's it. Yeah, your adult son has been kidnapped. Your adult son has been supposedly kidnapped by a woman that I've seen once, who never made any threatening you know, comments uh, or anything. Granted, she is evil, right? We know this. Oh, for sure. Yeah. But really, or like Dranian, like the only thing he didn't do was communicate his, you know, prince's romantic dalliance to his father. They're, They're making a lot of jumps because it's like a fairy tale version of storytelling. Right. But yeah, if this was real life, like he really couldn't be held to that standard. No, he's <laughs> like, and if you, if you like go out with a friend and like they're like, oh yeah, I've been thinking about buying those sneakers, and the next day both the friend and the sneakers are gone, never to be seen again. That's not on you for not telling someone that they liked those sneakers. Like that's yeah. not, it's probably a bad analogy, but it's a, no, it's a weird leap to make of like, oh, I am responsible for this person's right. disappearance. He's definitely not responsible. Granted, the girl is evil, but this is a big jumps in, in logic. But Caspian does something arguably weirder is he grabs his battle axe and then rushes at Lord Drinian and Lord Drinian's like, I deserve this. And he just stands there ready to get his head chopped off. And then Caspian just drops the axe and he's like, I've already lost a wife and a son. I'm not losing a friend as well. Yeah. Bro, my why are my you so mental picture of this, which I don't know if this will, if I'll be able to communicate this through, uh, through audio, but I'm going to try to, is that he'd swung the back, the axe back over his head. So like arms over his head and then changed his mind, dropped the axe with his arms behind his head and swinging his arms forward, he embraces him and hugs him. Bro, that is that is how this was described. I'm I'm I, I support it. What's with the theatricality? Because 
It's a children's book. <laughs> hey, this is my good friend who I don't want to kill. You know what I should do? Make him think I'm going to kill him. I mean, Caspian's no. got some uh, bouts of rage every now and then. That's, That's come Caspian, up. He is he is not the most stable guy. But but he's still, a, he is a little dramatic, to be honest. But like, it's so unnecessary. Alas, uh, that is you know where we the the last of the story of Rillian, and we turn back to Jill and Eustace and the owls. And, and Look, again, Jill makes a great point here. Jill, we, Jill really knows what's up. She's like, hey. That woman, I think she might be that snake. And the owls are like, we agree. Yes, yes, indubitably. Like, again, this was the owls being the red herring thing. You don't have to spell things out. People are more intelligent. Kids are more intelligent. If you yeah. just say, like, there was a, you know, this giant green snake. And like the next thing you see is a woman dressed in a green cloak. That could either be the snake or it could be a coincidence. But people are like, especially kids, you can like, you don't even like, even if you don't even communicate that she's wearing green, but you just see her that like, like 18 chapters from now, when we meet her, she's wearing a green scaled dress. You yeah. can make the inference there, you know? You, yeah, like you could harder than you this could figure it out, and the people who don't get it can get it explained later on. Like, right. Uh, a similar thing help. happened. I'm. I'm. Are you? You're not watching House of the Dragon, are you? No. So, but you can go for it. I'm not going to. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's not like a significant plot point, but in last night's episode, there is a moment where one of the characters Literally. enters the room wearing wearing green and is walking into the room and it's like a showstopper moment at at this big event and i as a viewer knew what was happening because i had been paying attention and listened to too many podcasts about these things sure. but for my my stepfather who was watching it with me who's like why are they so surprised there was a character in that scene who leaned over to another character and was like, do you know what color that house high tower or, or do you know what color the light in the high tower is lit whenever they call their banners to war green? It's like, I got it, but you know, sometimes, sometimes people need it spelled out. Sometimes, but this is, this is, this just is less subtle. This is not subtle. The woman is the snake. The woman is the snake. The, I assume, floating, surrounded by mist, with, like, eerie sounds, with her hand out to the prince woman, and at the very sight that a snake murdered his mom. The very sight. Yeah. Yeah, it's a... Yeah, it's a move. It's a move, but... They're like, yeah, this snake, definitely that woman, right? And they're like, yes, 100% agreed. But we don't think she killed the prince because we never found bones. And Scrub's like, we know she didn't because Aslan said that he's still alive. Yeah. And this mission like, wouldn't exist if he was already dead. Right. Then it's just a body recovery mission, which is way more morbid. Yeah, uh, that's not really a children's book story. No, for sure not. 
but they're like, well, that almost makes it worse because now we think she's using some scheme against Narnia. And then she br- they bring up the White Witch saying, uh, at the very beginning, the White Witch came out of the north and bound our land in snow and ice for 100 years. And we think this may be one of the same crew. Now, Chase, we've read The Magician's Nephew. Yeah. We've read Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Yep. We've even read Prince Caspian. Yep. Who is this woman? And where was she of the same crew? Because, to my knowledge, only one lady came from Charn. Not only did only one lady come from Charn, but very specifically, the White Witch murdered her all of her sisters. All of them. Yeah. You used a magic nuke bomb spell to make every single living person from her world dead except for her. Correct. So not not one of the White Witch's crew. Not of the same crew. Random satanic figure. Who is this woman? In, like, insert Satan metaphor here. And and to my knowledge, spoiler for the rest of the book, they're not going to explain who she is really. I think this is meant to be an explanation, but correct me if I'm wrong. Magician's Nephew's written after this, right? I believe so. Uh, I think that's the next book. Um, let's see. Uh, I I know that um, Magician's Nephew may be written before this. Uh, if it was, I- then this is insane. If it wasn't, I can see him abandoning that plot point for the other thing yeah. he decides. Magi- Magician's nephew is written in two years, so oh. from this book. So, yeah. so that I, that I, makes I, sense to me as like a oh well, this makes sense within the story for them to assume this, and that can be her backstory. And, and then when is, he goes and writes the actual prequel, he decides uh, that that's too many moving pieces for what I'm trying to do here. This just makes it like if we. If we had gone in release date, as opposed to book order, Magician's Nephew is a giant fu to all of the like to the canon established timeline and uh, like plot points of the oh, yeah. rest of the series. I think there's plenty of problems that we've come across in this story that are problems because they disagree with Magician's Nephew. And Magician's Nephew is just objectively a better book than most of these books. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's got way more development, way more, like, majesty and beauty. The the pacing is better. The story structure is better. The world building is better. Like, it's it's more developed because he already has an end goal in mind. He knew yeah. where he knew where he was getting to from the beginning. Magician's nephew, how much of it is exists just so that he's like, crap, I was gonna put Uncle Diggory in uh in the like final scene in the last battle. I need to make sure that they know that he's actually also been to Narnia. <laughs> they need to remember who this dude is. Yeah. Cause he's only been in a couple chat like one chapter predominantly in all of these books until Magician's Nephew is written. But we get back to the Parliament of Owls and they're like, yeah, for sure. That woman is bad news. She's probably, uh, you know, the green witch. And they're like, yeah, that makes sense. 
uh, and they're like, hey, are you going to help Assume us? Assume that there's other colors of witch. There's probably a red witch, a blue witch. Well, there's, witch. there's the white witch. There's the gray witch who is less powerful in thought, but more wise. Uh, but when uh, she goes through the fire. Mm -hmm. There's two blue witches who got lost. Yeah. And then there's which, a brown witch who, who is nature oriented. Yeah. And we assume that the witch that came from the comet is probably Gandalf, but we're not really sure yet. No comment. I hope it's not. But it, I would be yeah, shocked. Just, if it I don't wasn't. think I don't think it's any way that it's not, but I hate it if it is. Yep. But that's a different that's a different story. Honestly, the white witch to Saruman connection, I don't hate because no, it's it's okay. It's supposed to be this color of like purity and holiness that ends up being corrupted and like evil. So I'm for it. Like I like it. Uh, and it's just another tie between uh, JRR and CS. So yeah, and Saruman also hates Christmas. So I don't know if that's true, but I like it. I mean, he he's just offended because Santa Claus kind of tried to steal his look, and it, uh, yeah, so he keeps. Armand is just like clean hips, or like he's like Santa if he was like much cleaner and well put together. <laughs> he's Santa on Whole Thirty. Yeah, <laughs> he's a keto Santa. Just, <laughs> he's very hip. He's got a very straight beard, straight hair, no yeah. scraggles. Like he's if Santa was an Enneagram Four. <laughs> it's so perfect i love it uh but they're like hey can y'all help us find the lost prince and they're like you guys have any clue where to go and use is like by like as a matter of fact we do we're yeah, going we to actually have a very specific roadmap of exactly where to go we didn't even need to come here <laughs> we could have just gone that way and they're like we've got to go to the land of the north of to the to the the ruins of a giant city and they're all the birds are like, hoo, 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 and they're going, they're freaking out. Uh, and then they go, well, you'll want to travel by day uh, and, uh, you know, not by night. And, you know, that wouldn't do because as we've mentioned, we're nocturnal creatures. And yeah. uh, so and there's no way for you to sleep during the day as well. So absolutely not. And fly you, know, you there. So we, we will, you know, we'll take you as far as the marsh wiggles. Uh, they're the only people who can help. And that's a that's a that's just a subtle little foreshadowing to arguably the best character in all of these books. The titular character of the next chapter. Yeah, it's yep. uh, yeah. It'll, it'll be Look, great. Looking forward why, to it, Chase. Why Marsh Wiggles are the only ones who can help? Who can say? But don't worry about it. Isn't this an entire country filled with magical beings and people loyal to the king? Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Alas, don't worry about it. Centaur is probably more helpful than Puddleglum, but we'll, but we'll man, have more fun. Puddleglum great. Yeah. So it's we, on the reference to the Marsh Wiggles, they say, great. Are we ready to leave? Said Glimfeather to Jill. And then uh, Scrub's like, yo, I think she's asleep. And then the chapter ends, Chase, because why not end on a terrible ending? Yeah. Why not end with, oh, I don't think she could hear you. <laughs> that's it and that's the chapter you know and now we're ready for for puddle glum uh sooner rather than later yeah. but chase would true, you like to... the true prince puddle the true prince what if it turned out that puddle glum was the lost prince <laughs> that'd be a really funny and that would be kind of like uh prince charles becoming king no man this would be much more like eeyore becoming 
you like king and it's so much better <laughs> yeah if if you're not annoyed by cynical complaining it's a it's a good time he is that puddleglum is for sure the millennial who has become super like disillusioned with the world and is just real cynical man it's gonna be great so otherwise chase hansen <laughs> the, mo- the most relatable character since edmund <laughs> team edmund pre pre aslan <laughs> we want free edmund free edmund i mean i stand by edmund it was the not that time. bad in the first in, in the first book love it for it uh great take Another great take, Chase. Would you like to dive further up and further in for us? Would love to. Uh, really just kind of wanted to hit on uh, a thing that we didn't really dig into too much in our discussion, but one of the plot points in the story about Prince Rillian is that he was obsessively riding north to wander the woods searching for the snake that killed his mom hunting and hunting. And to the point that Drinian is stopping him and being like, bro, you're, you're getting a little worked up about this. This probably isn't worth your time. We're all worried about you. And that's when we realize, like, Oh, he's actually not, uh, not even looking for that snake anymore. He's got a different thing that's caught his eye. And it's a, uh, there's a interesting line in the book where uh, it says that uh, so after that he was always riding on the northern marches of Narnia hunting for the venomous worm to kill it and be avenged no one remarked much on this though the prince came home from these wanderings looking tired and distraught but about a month after the queen's death some said they could see a change in him there was a look in his eyes as if as of a man who has seen visions and though he would be out all day his horse did not there are signs of hard writing and basically this turn in his personality where he just kind of snaps into a different mode. And it got me thinking about this theme of obsession and the way that like treasure hunters in stories really get obsessed with the objects of their desire, which is as we'll probably see a result of a spell that this, that the green witch has has cast, but it made me think of things like the uh, camp the camp counselors in holes, <laughs> the movie in book holes, looking for this treasure in the desert to the point where they've got all this essentially slave labor force uh, digging holes for them in the desert, looking for uh, for gold, or thinking about the way that people treat the One Ring in Lord of the Rings, or. Uh, even got me thinking about like in Star Wars, the way Anakin gets obsessed with uh, keeping Padme alive. And that's this thing that triggers his turn towards the dark side is this intense desire that possesses him. And and that's really what possess, of what an obsession is. And this, uh, this change in the eye that we see in, in Prince Rillian. But uh, yeah, that's what I was thinking about. What do you got, Kel? Uh, yeah, we mentioned this a little bit, but um, I'm going to be talking a little bit about kind of the purpose 
and uh, the different methods of uh, of exposition, right? Every fictional story that you have, you're going to have moments of exposition. And some books and some movies do them better than others. Uh, you could, you know, go the Lord of the Rings movies route, and you have the the opening title crawl of the, you know, uh, Galadriel reading through the One Ring to rule them all. Uh, you know, you have the you know the explanation of like what happened in the Second Age with the defeat of Sauron and the last alliance of elven men and the betrayal of you know Sildor. You have um, moments where characters will you know, have conversations and go, man, this is what, you know, this is what happened. This is what the plot, this is what, you know, the, the main thing is, uh, maybe it's a, uh, you know, a case that someone has to solve and that's, you know, them reading the files, you know, it, it depends, but in every fictional story, what you're going to have are moments of exposition and you just hope that it is done well because what ends up happening if it is uh, not done well is you just have someone telling you exactly the things that you need to know. And it feels kind of like a skip in, in plot where you're removed from the story if it's not done well and you're just hearing someone talk to you as opposed to being immersed in the story, which is why the best exposition moments are done when it feels organic, when it, when it makes sense, when you learn more about the story as time progresses, you're not just giving it all in a you know, word vomit uh, you know, in one section, uh, and going, okay, cool. This is all the things you need to know. Uh, and we see as Lewis goes back and forth with how well he does on exposition, because moments like this are like, well, that wasn't the most helpful because you just explained everything all at once. Uh, as opposed to just being like, Hey, let's hear a story. Like let's have a conversation and, you know, watch dialogue unfold. Uh, but, uh, different stories will do different well, but every fictional story has to have exposition because you have to have an understanding of how did we get here and what are we about to embark on? But Chase, you know, that feeling when you're podcasting and you're really tired and you just don't want to do any work the rest of the day. Yeah. Yeah. Really well. (laughs) Really well. And you find that the more tired and you know more you know the deeper you get into your podcast the harder it is to do your work that's kind of where i feel like we are right now yeah, but alas we have to do it and we go on with our days and listeners you can go on with your days by finding more uh you know more of our podcasts wherever you find them whether that's audible spotify uh apple podcasts whatever you name it and a great way to help our days go on is if you uh, go and follow us on at the Chronicles of Podcast, you leave us a, a you know a rate and review, uh, give us a comment, uh, you know that helps the algorithms and everything helps other people find our our podcast, so that we don't have to go into our days as puddle glum as the rest. But Chase, we'll see you next week. I've already fallen asleep. Didn't even hear what you said. <laughs>